Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our uh, study of the Old Testament, we are in Genesis. We did five years in the New Testament, and we knocked through it a chapter at a time, and now we've picked up the Old Testament. We're, um, we're about a year in, uh, and we're 45 chapters in. There's a few weeks I didn't get to the chapters I wanted to get to. So uh, we're doing well, though, and um, there's 50 chapters in Genesis, so we'll be moving uh, through Genesis probably... Um, through April, and then we'll be in Exodus. The Exodus is coming in April. Um, and uh, studying Scripture like this, very important. It gives you context. And, and context is so important when you, when you study the Scripture so that you, um, you know how things fit. And, and people can't make the Bible try and say things that it's not trying to say. And so it, it gives you a, an awareness of those things and it allows it all work together the way that it's supposed to. So it's very, very important to work through the, the text in, in context like this. And um, uh, I like going through it this way and, and, and uh, I hope you know, you're, you're learning as we go. Now, in Genesis, I said there's things I want you to remember. And uh, I, I've told you that, that Genesis in, is in effect about four main events and four main characters and there's one main theme. And I go over this every week because I want you to... You know, if somebody asks you what's Genesis about, you, you, you should at least remember that. Well, Genesis is about four main events, which is the creation and the fall and the flood and the Tower of Babel. Those, and those all happen right in the beginning of the book. First 11 chapters, those things take place. Then it shifts in Genesis 12 and it becomes about four main people um, that, that sort of then carry the rest of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those are the patriarchs. And then Joseph, who's one of Jacob's sons. Um, and that the main theme, the, the big deal that you need to see through Genesis is known as the crimson thread of redemption, which starts right at the fall in Genesis 3.15, right after the fall. This thread of redemption, this crimson thread of redemption, runs through the Old Testament to the cross. And you can see it. It's a, it's a constant, steady theme. And you will see how... Um, God moves in, in this, this stream and how the enemy fights against it, but that God always works through it. And you'll see it, you know, through the covenants and through the kings and through everything that takes place. This, this thread is fairly evident, leading us to the cross, which we're, you know, now it's Easter, Holy Week. Um, we're, you know, that, that deal should always be on our minds, but it should be more significantly on your minds this week, um, thinking of what Jesus did. But, but he, you know, we're redeemed because of his willingness to go to the cross. And all of that's set in motion, and we're watching it through, and it's at work already. And the patriarchs have started the process, and, you know, it's going to be through them that, that the, the Messiah comes, ultimately, and the lineage is in place. Now, um, you know, it's not through Joseph, um, but he figures huge in the story, and that's why he's the main character there. But through Judah, who was one of Jacob's other sons, and we watched him now sort of change, because he, was, he wasn't a good guy. But he's repented now in that last chapter, and he's doing better. And uh, that's good. And, and, you know, Jesus is a descendant of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So um, all these things are significant, and we're, we're working our way through them together. And today we're in Genesis 45. And, uh, you know, in the story, now the, the, uh, the brothers still don't know that Joseph is who he is. They don't know that it's Joseph yet. They just think he's a, a ruler in Egypt, and they've had several encounters with him now. And um, Joseph has used these encounters to see if his brothers have changed at all, if they're any different, if they're, 
if, they're, uh, if they've repented. And in effect, that's what, what they do. And we see it happen in all the brothers, and particularly we see it in Judah, who was sort of one of the ones that was spearheaded selling Joseph into slavery all those many years ago when he was 17. And now, when his, the other brother, Benjamin, sort of was in trouble, you know, because of what was going on in this whole scenario, Judah steps up and says, no, you know, take me instead. And uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, they had opportunities um, to think about what they'd done, and they'd made some changes over time. And that's significant. I want to talk about that more in a minute. So um, what you need to see is how God um, takes this whole process and has used Joseph's situation to put him in a place to save um, the people of Israel, small as they are at this point in time, and to gather them in a land where they will flourish, um, uh, you know, at first, and then ultimately uh, under slavery over, you know, a 400-year process, finally exit as the nation of Israel. And it's all happening because of these circumstances that are in place, and God uses them in the process. So, so even though even though the brothers sold him and intended it for evil, God intended it for good. And God uses situations and changes things around because of who he is and what he does. And, and so, you know, throughout Joseph's life, when you think about it, how, how sold into slavery for, you know, he was getting dreams and visions, and all of them have come true, but brothers hated him, um, you know, and the father played, you know, favorites, which wasn't good for him or the situation, but um, he's sold into slavery, and then he does a great job in Potiphar's house, and then the wife falsely accuses accuses him of, of, you know, attacking her, which never happened. He was, you know, being a man of integrity, and he ends up in prison for that. And so he, you know, was at the head of this house, and now he's in prison. And then he becomes the head of the prison, and, and then, you know, he's, he's there, and he has a, he interprets a dream, um, you know, and the two dreams correctly, and he says, don't forget me when you get out. The guy forgets all about him, you know, the cupbearer to the king. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was supposed to mention this guy. Joseph gets an opportunity at this point then to interpret a dream for Pharaoh, and um, Pharaoh goes, that's right, you know, about the famine, seven years of famine, and seven years of, you know, favor and seven years of famine, and he says, well, okay, I'm going to put you in charge of everything, and Joseph does a great job in the years of plenty, and now he's protecting Egypt through these years of famine, but he's in position to save his family, and God has used all of those circumstances to make this happen. So... That's where we're at. Let's look at Genesis 45. Just 28 verses. I'll read through them. I'm reading out of the NIV. You can follow along in your translation. That's great. The words should show up on the screen, but we'll see. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will, be, uh, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. 
Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You're also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. And then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they had told him everything, Joseph said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So great story here. Um, what's happening? And, uh, you know, I, I love to think about what was going on in this time. Can you imagine being Joseph's brothers? And they've already been through a lot in trying to get food, you know, and they've got a lot of things going on at the house with dad and, and uh, none of that's been really easy. And they, they're dealing with the fact that they sold their brother into slavery and it's you know, they've, they've, they've come to realize that wasn't good and, and all these things are happening and, and they're going through this situation and they're standing there and they're in the first few verses of Genesis uh, 45. Joseph says, I am Joseph. I just want to just think about what it would have been like to be standing there and the brothers, you know, because at first I'm sure they were thinking, you know, how can you, why are you saying that you're somebody that you're not, you know, you and, and and trying to, you know, get a hold of this statement because they'd been interacting with him without knowing who it was, and all these confused thoughts are there, and, you know, how can this Egyptian ruler even know about their deceased brother, and, and why is he claiming to be somebody we know that's dead, but, but you know, if he truly is Joseph, well, why has he been treating us this way, and, and you know, what's he going to do to punish us for what we've done to him? You're trying to go through the process of what it would have been like just to be standing there. How, how you know, all those thoughts would have been racing through their brains. They, they, they were speechless, it says. And, you know, I, I think it was a, they, they would have, all of, a, all of them would have at that moment been standing there realizing how guilty they were. And they were standing before a, a sort of a righteous judge at that moment. And it was all on them, all at the moment. 
But two things start to happen that, that uh, hopefully begins to encourage them. First, he says, hey, come closer. And um, that would have signaled to them that something was different because, remember, Egyptians kept a distance from the Hebrews. And uh, if he truly was an Egyptian, he wouldn't have had them come closer as he did. And, and uh, he was just weeping. Joseph was weeping uncontrollably. Again, he's been, we've seen this happen, but he's, now he's crying in their presence. And uh, it's the third time he's wept because of his brothers. But this, you know, the other two he kind of excused himself and hit. This is public. And uh, he speaks to them again. And he, he identifies himself again as Joseph and then tells them what they did to him. So they know that uh, this is him. And it, it also takes that horrific secret it's been in the darkness all this time, and now it's up in the light. It's public. It's no longer. It's just taken everything out of that whole thing. So, so that's a significant encounter that's happening there. Then in the next few verses, in 5 through 8, uh, and, and so, you know, he can see their, their confusion, obviously, and their, their mixed response to this whole process, and he begins to speak to them, and he does it, you know, he's in, he's in, he loves them, and he's encouraging them, and he's, you know, it, it comes from a very forgiving place, and you know that yeah, you what you did was wrong, and, and you were guilty of it. But he said, look, don't dwell on that because of all that God has done because of that whole process. That that God, you know, sort of overruled his his brother's hateful attitude and their cruel actions, and he's worked it all out for good. Um, that that verse, that thought will come through often in, in Genesis 50:20. That's a big verse in Genesis. God caused it for good. You, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. That's a big deal. Uh, and, and Genesis 50:20 is sort of the, it's like the New Testament. It's the Old Testament version of Romans 8:28. God causes all things to work together for good. So it's, the, it's a pretty good verse, Genesis 50:20. You should know that. So, so his brothers were responsible for his sufferings, but God used them to accomplish his divine purpose in the whole process. And so now, um, you know, he, he, uh, he moves in the next few verses, 9 through 13, and he, he, because of his position in Egypt, he wants to take care of his family. That's his heart. He's, he's been wanting to do that, and now, it's, you know, now that he's revealed himself, after seeing their response to some things, um, he, he doesn't want them to live in the next five years of famine in, in Canaan, uh, and, and he doesn't want them to have to keep traveling back and forth to Egypt to get food. It wouldn't make sense. And so um, he, he says, listen, go home and get your families and get my father and bring them here. And we're going to set you up in the land of Goshen and you'll be near me and we can be together again. And that was a very fertile area and it would be a good spot for them to be shepherds. Remember, the Egyptians would want them sort of at a distance, but uh, they could be close enough to be together. And so... This plan is laid out and begins to happen. And uh, in verses 14 and 15, um, it, it, it's a very important couple of verses because Joseph embraces his brothers and he kisses them, uh, and especially Benjamin, and they all weep together. And this, this hidden family secret, this hidden sin, um, it's been exposed with, it's been dealt with, forgiveness has been granted, Mercy and truth have met together, and, and righteousness and truth have sort of kissed each other in the process. But, but all of that is possible because of Joseph's attitude, and, and um, because he's the one that suffered, but he's triumphed over it. 
And it's a, it's a picture of what Jesus does for us um, uh, at the death of his cross and resurrection. This is a very good passage for this week. But Joseph's attitude is like that of Jesus, who, who suffered on our behalf, but, but um, forgives us, doesn't hold it against us, doesn't, doesn't you know, uh, he, 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 uh, even though he went and suffered for us and did it all for us because he was perfect and sinless, Jesus, he, he did it for us, and he extends mercy and grace and everything to us. And, and so, um, in effect, what happens is this very similar picture. Joseph also goes from suffering to glory um, in, his, in his whole situation. You know, from the prison to the throne was Joseph's path. And it's a picture of what, what happens with Jesus, who goes from suffering to glory. And, and uh, you know, from being set free and, and to the throne. All those things happen. And... Um, and then Joseph shares his wealth and glory with others, and that's, uh, that's what Jesus does with us. So it's a, it's a picture of those things happening. And there's that one verse, verse 15, afterward his brothers talked with him. That's huge, because when, when he was a teenager, uh, if you remember, if you were to go back into Genesis 37, his brothers hated him and wouldn't talk to him. Pretty significant that this stuff is recorded in there, and we see it happening. But, but now that they've been reconciled and they've been forgiven, this communication is possible. And, you know, you know, you would imagine that they've apologized at this point and they've been updating him. They've updated him now on what's happening with the family and about their father. And, and so this, they've been restored now and this fellowship is happening once again between the brothers, probably in a way that it hasn't, uh, if it ever had, because they, they've hated Joseph, you know. They hated him bad enough. They sold him into slavery. Um, but this is big, um, because Jace, Joseph forgives them, but remember, he's given them an opportunity and some time to demonstrate true repentance. And those two things are big with, with forgiveness, and I, I, I like to see, because now, see, he's trusting them now with responsibility. They prove themselves over time, and this is a big deal about forgiveness, because um, you, you, you think, I mean... That's a big deal, what Joseph has forgiven his brothers. That's not really easy to get to. Um, you think if, if someone who was supposed to take care of you sold you into slavery, you might have a little bit of trouble saying, oh, okay, no problem, good. Right? I mean, do you, you get it's a pretty significant deal? Well, forgiveness is, is a difficult thing. However, here's, here's how it begins to change. Forgiveness, God commands us to forgive. And so you think, well, you, you, this is where people get in trouble with that. They go, well, no, you, you don't know what, what these people have done to me. I'll never forgive them. And the problem with that is that um, that just hurts you. See, there's no freedom in there. There's no life in there. And so um, when, when you allow someone to sort of, uh, even though they've wronged you horrifically, if there's not forgiveness, they, they still have that over you as well. And so forgiveness is commanded. God says, you forgive them. And then what that means is forgiveness means, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just trust you with whatever I think would be, you know, what I would like to do, but I'm just going to give it to you, and, and you're going to take care of it. Now, but forgiveness doesn't mean that you just immediately let someone who's wronged you wrong you again. It doesn't mean that you... Um, don't know that, that, that a wrong has taken place. See, some people want to, they, they sort of want to tie forgive and forget together. Um, and, and they don't, 
God's can, God can do that, but that's, we can't do that. It didn't say Joseph forgot what they did. He said, you know, it says he forgave what they did. But he didn't forget. He knew what, was, he knew what they did. And the harder you try and forget something that's happened to you, the more you remember it anyway. So that doesn't work. But here's what happens. Through this period of time, they've had opportunities to demonstrate the fact that they had changed. And that's why all this has been going on, the back and the forth and the things and the put the money in and take the money out and here's the brother and what are you going to do? He wants to see if they've changed. His forgiveness wasn't based on that. He was, he was already forgiven them. But if he was going to engage in relationship with them again, they needed to demonstrate repentance. And this is where people often sort of struggle um, because they, what a lot of people want, if they've done something to you, they want you to... To say, and you say you've forgiven them, then they want things to go back to the way they were without demonstrating repentance. And, and sometimes repentance takes time. And, and if you're really repentant, you don't force the issue about time to be trusted again the way you once were. So, so if someone has wronged you, you forgive them, but that relationship may not be restored ever unless that person's repentant and they can demonstrate that you can trust them again. That doesn't mean you don't forgive them. And don't let them tell you, well, you don't really forgive me. Yeah, I have forgiven you. I just, I don't trust you. And that takes time. And if you want me to trust you again, you're going to have to get that. Or it's not going to happen. You can't rush that process. That's a process. Uh, and, and it took time in this picture. Uh, you know, some couple of trips. And he needed to see. It needed to be demonstrated that there was an actual change. And it was significantly demonstrated what Judah did when he said, take, take me and not Benjamin. I can't do it, you know, with Judy, he said, I can't do it to Benjamin, I can't do it to my father. Take me. Huge change. Because of that, he could trust them again. And so the relationship was restored at that point. But you, you need to make sure you connect those two things. Just, it doesn't mean you haven't forgiven someone if you don't trust them yet. It just means they haven't earned your trust again. So, you know, he trusted his brothers, and then they sold him into slavery. He didn't trust them. You, that's pretty wise. That's wise. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I don't know what point he forgave them, but I, I think, you know, most of, he probably forgave them almost immediately. And, and now there's an opportunity. There they come, sees repentance. Okay, now I can trust you again. Now the relationship can be back the way it is. But, but just know those two things. So even though if someone has wronged you, even as badly as Joseph been wronged, maybe even worse, you still forgive. But you don't have to, re, you know, it's not on you to make that relationship right. Just you and you to extend forgiveness. They have to demonstrate repentance over time. And if they're not willing to do that, they're not really repentant. They're just not. They just want back. And you don't need to. It doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. So, uh, so then, you know, in the background, the, the Egyptians have heard Joseph crying now, and they've gone to tell Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's, you know, basically sort of echoes what Joseph already said here. You've got some great lamb. We want you to come. Take some carts. You don't even need to bring your stuff because we're going to give you more stuff than you can imagine. And uh, we got better stuff is basically what he's saying. So bring your, bring your herds and bring your kids, but don't worry about your belongings. And, uh, and so in verses 16 through 21, Pharaoh sort of goes back over the things that Joseph has said, and it looks like they had talked at some point. Um, verses 22 and 23. Now, isn't it cool, too? The, remember the, bro, the brothers had taken Joseph's robe? when they sold them to the merchants, but he gives each of them new clothes to wear. Pretty cool. Restorative. 
And, you know, in, in the scripture, when you see someone changing their clothes, it's often a, a picture of a new beginning. And this is a new beginning in the, in the family uh, of Israel. And uh, certainly a new beginning for all of Jacob's 11 sons. Just imagine the relief of carrying around that we, we killed our brother, sold him into slavery, and he hadn't really done anything. We, he was just 17. They carried that all that time. And just the relief of he's, he's alive. And things are, you know, things are restored. It's new clothes means a new start. And um, uh, Genesis 25 through 28, Jacob, you know, he's happy to see his home, his son's home, especially Je- Benjamin, because he'd been concerned about him. But you know, he can't believe the report that that Joseph's alive, that he's the second ruler of Egypt, that he wants the whole family to move to Egypt, and that he would care for them all. Think about that. You know, you're just happy to see the kids, and all of a sudden, can you imagine that news? Joseph, my, he's alive. What? He's the house. How in the world is he the second ruler in all of you? How is that even possible? What do you mean he wants us to move to Egypt? You know what? Yeah, and, and, and that he's going to take care of us in this thing. And in uh, verse 26, it says, Jacob's heart fainted. Um, literally means it grew cold or grew numb. Uh, he like almost had a heart attack. That's kind of the deal. It was that like, it's, did you ever used to watch Sanford and Son? I'm coming, Elizabeth. This is a big one. I don't know why I just thought about that. And if you never saw Sanford and Son, then you don't have no... Now you need to go watch a, an old one. But he would do that. <laughs> it's a big one. Um, but, you know, he, he, he... There's all the carts from Egypt. That he, you know, there's no way they could have come back. And so... He sees this happen, and he's sort of revived in spirit. Um, he's 130 years old when he goes to Egypt, Jacob is, and um, he dies when he's 147. So he had 17 good years there with all his family. That's pretty cool um, in the process. And Joyce is, is, is Joseph, and he enjoys Joseph's kids who he hadn't met. and Very, very cool. And, uh, and so now, you know, everything's in place for this whole process for the next four centuries. Um, Israel will be in Egypt. Um, first, they're there as honored guests, and then at the end, they're suffering slaves. Um, but God's going to mold them into the nation uh, that they needed to be in, in order to do what he wanted them to do and to keep this crimson thread of rego- uh, redemption going for us. So anyway, good stuff. We'll pick it up there next week. Um, if you're watching my video, thank you. We appreciate you doing that. Come and visit us when you can. Oh, you should be here for Easter services. They're going to be really good. And uh, invite some people to come as well. Okay, good. That's done.